Hey everybody, welcome to the 1947 Rise podcast, a podcast that helps India-born, US-trained Indians get integrated into the Indian technology ecosystem and inspires them to move back to India to build massive tech companies and or help enable the tech ecosystem. We do this by interviewing India-born, US-trained Indians who have moved back to India and built massive tech companies themselves and or helped enable the tech ecosystem. I'm excited to have Pranav Pai today on 1947 Rise podcast. Pranav Pai is the founding partner and chief investment officer at 314 Capital. Pranav leads investments and portfolio construction at 314 Capital. As CIO, he has led over 70 seed and venture capital investments across several investment categories in India and the US. 314 Capital has four unicorns in their portfolio, Alicious, uh, Jupiter, Open Bank and Darwin Box. Prior to founding 314 Capital, Pranav went to Stanford for masters and worked at Edcast. Pranav, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, great to be here. Awesome. Let's uh, dive right into it. Uh would love for you to unpack your personal story, you know, growing up in India, how was it like and then you ended up moving to the US and uh how was the experiences like in US and then you ended up moving back to India. Uh, what made you move back to India and how was uh, the move like? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think Sadat and my brother Sadat and I are both fortunate that we were born and born and raised in Bangalore. Uh, which uh, in the late 80s if you told people that this would become the technology hub of the country most people would think uh, you know you you might have had something funny to eat in the morning but uh, you know bangalore was a fantastic city to grow up in um, all of our family members my mother's side uh, her father was in the air force my father's side uh, were konkanis we we came from the coast uh, so in bangalore we really found a unique culture that accepted us that that helped us you know become part of the city and growing up here was a unique experience uh, i think because we really saw the city build up every year to what it is today uh, so i think being here turn, turns out it was one of the best places to be if you're interested in tech over the long term uh, fantastic obviously experience for us uh, when we were young uh, school was tough college was even tougher because uh, as you know in the indian education system uh, the grind is real as they say uh, you're really challenged every day both socially and academically Uh, so if you're able to compete here and be the best in your class the best in your grade the top 3 top 5 uh, turns out again that you are quite prepared strangely in a strange way uh, to compete in most parts of the world uh, so there were important choices that i'm again very fortunate that my parents were able to help me make in the right way looking back uh, for example when it came to picking my subjects in school uh, i got good advice to pick computer science i was good at math i was good at science i could have been a doctor could have been anything but and and usually you know in india the prototype story story is the stereotype is that your parents tell you what to do it was quite the opposite for me no one told me what to do in 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 fact uh, it was quite open field in terms of uh, when i asked that question they would say it's totally up to you so mm-hmm. you know being given that space being given that time to think through what what we commit our lives to i think led me down this very path uh, so that flexibility early and then the freedom to say maybe i won't go to the us for the undergrad i'll stay here i'll i'll stay with my parents um, i'll understand my city better i'll build my networks here 
uh, I'll plan to go maybe later. I think those extra four years after 12th standard in college in Bangalore really shaped me to become who I am today. Uh, so if I, if I value my time in India, if I, if I am uh, so very clear that I will build long-term value here, I think it's because I spent my most formative years between 18 and 21 uh, in Bangalore at home with my parents, uh, with those value systems in place. Uh, same thing goes to Siddharth. Both of us did our undergrads here. And I think uh, after that, going to Stanford, going to the US, working there, of course, uh, gave me a real anchor to looking at India from within and from outside. Uh, so, you know, India is a bubble uh, when you grow up here. It's very clear, as is any other country in the world. But looking back at home from outside gives you a unique perspective of how to deal with the challenges, why it's important to come back and build a certain way. Uh, when is the right time? Because timing, when you're in India, when you're in the flow of things, there's so many, so much happening around you. But when you go outside and you look back in, there is uh, more time to meditate, to contemplate, and to think mm -hmm. about really what the opportunity would be for your specific set of skills. So I think all that put together has led me to where I am today. It's, it's I'm very grateful again. Uh, for what it turned out to be. And of course, uh, we're building on the shoulders of giants, as it were. Uh, so the cycles of technology that have come before us, uh, the appreciation growing up in Bangalore that you have for IT, PT, the engineers, uh, the innovators, uh, the Murtis, the Premjis, the Likanis, and so on. I think all that put together has been a very formative influence on my life. Got it. Maybe, uh, Pranav, you could double click on the values that, uh, you know, built while your time uh, in, in college in India and with family. And then, you know, what were the things that you learned in the U.S. that you would not have learned in India? Yeah, I think uh, I'll speak as a VC and kind of uh, tie together my strategy today to my values that were, you know, thrown into me over, over the last couple of decades. Uh, so one, one of the things that is strange about India is that if you don't know India very well, almost always you're willing to believe someone else's interpretation of it. And the first value system you know, the first part of the value system that I would say is very natural to me, it's very instinctive to all of us who grew up here, is that we don't assume we know the whole country, having grown up in one part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, there are so many languages, so, so much diversity in this country, unless you've lived here, unless you felt it, especially in college, because in Bangalore, especially in engineering, you see students from all over the country come here to learn. Uh, and there are at least seven to eight languages being spoken in every class at any point in time, uh, from English to Canada to Malayalam to Telugu, Tamil, Hindi, other mm -hmm. languages from the Northeast. So I think if, if you grow up here and you're open-minded about what's happening around you, you just realize it's very hard to know India inside out. Yeah. And that gives you a kind of humility about what you can say you know well and what you have to say you don't. Whereas when I see other people today, for example, in, in investing, and especially top-down investing or outside-in investing or the parachute investing, as it were, uh, a lot of the things that you would assume from a consultant's report about the country almost always don't turn out to be true long term. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that that's, that's part of your value system, to know what you know, to know what you don't, to put in the effort, to talk to people, to understand different contexts. I think if that isn't a natural part of you, having grown up here, it's very hard to learn over time. So I think that's a very important thing that I've deployed into my way of investing. All of us have at 314. A second very important value uh, component for us is who we work with and how to partner with them. Yeah. I think uh, growing up in Bangalore, at least, uh, we had a reasonably stable childhood. And we learned very early not to take that for granted. Uh, we learned very early that it's important for us to be mindful, not only our family, our well-being, our, our salary, our food, whatever, but to share and, and be mindful of the community around you and 
that's why growing up with family in your formative years for me was really important mm-hmm. uh, you also learn the value of the resources around you and i think a lot of the you know a lot of things that you don't take for granted here are taken for granted in so many other parts of the world you realize that when people say india can truly build a different part to fight till in tentril in whatever you realize it's a part of your everyday culture you lived that 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 part to sustainability you lived that you know way of being inclusive and mindful of people around you i think that's again uh, very important for all of us to realize that if you grown up here you have that as part of you it's default and that's a superpower if you deploy it into your career it makes you for example a better leader you see so many ceos of the world's biggest companies in the us now are indian or of indian origin yeah. it makes you fantastic to work with it makes you fantastic uh, as a founder you are able to attract the right kind of talent so i think that's again a very important thing to wake up to our way of being and i think today in today's world post 2021 post covid with india's new role in the world i think if we realize more and more of it i think all of us working together can do something really terrific so i can go on and on but again so many things we've lived every day turns out it becomes really vital as you grow up and you're heading into your 30s yeah yeah and uh, would love for you to talk about your experience in uh, in us as well that was something unique uh, yeah. that you you got there yeah for sure so you know uh, it's hard to get into a top quality engineering program uh, and again that makes you very humble this wakes you up to the sheer amount of competition not just in india not what you're facing in engineering the iit exam is legendary for its competitiveness but also for just you know once you go outside the country just how much competition there is from the rest of the world right uh, so being on the west coast being at stanford i think really woke me up to what it means to be the best in your field the best in your domain the best in anything mm-hmm. and you realize very quickly that it's not um, the more you know uh, the less you feel you're on top of things yeah there's a real phenomenon there that i think all of us wake up to and seeing that change how you think and being given the space to this be yourself uh, isolate meditate contemplate i think that's what i'm very grateful to stand for for giving me giving me that space to do i also met some of the best people that i've made friends with some of the smartest people i've ever seen um i i was fortunate to be on campus when facebook went ipo steve jobs passed away so snapchat was becoming this huge company in fact uh, unfortunately one of my biggest regrets is saying no to a snapchat job Uh, during an interview but all jokes aside uh, that's that those early 20 to 2011 to 2015 i think those years were quite phenomenal uh, for all the things happening in the valley back at that time so we were seeing crypto becoming huge all of us are mining crypto on our laptops on 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 campus in our dorms uh, peter thiel and balaji shrinivasan both did those courses that became quite famous the thiel's course became the book 0 to 1 we were on mm-hmm. campus for that so i think uh, all of those things really uh, well i would say every year there's something new happening in every campus in the us uh, for a lot of us who were on campus back then it was truly something special so we'll dive into the founding story of 314 capital uh, so you decided to move back to india uh, probably 20, 2015 2016 uh, when was that aha moment for you and siddharth okay let's go uh, raise our first fund uh, what was the thesis around and uh, and when you were pitching lps uh, you know how were you able to convince them yeah for sure i think uh, there were two reasons why we believed instead of starting a company starting a vc firm would be uh, the right thing for us so just in terms of what what stack what part of the stack we would play in um i had the good fortune and so did a lot of the people who joined 314 early 
of working at a startup, working under a founder, and seeing the true grind that it is to build a company up from nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Fred Anurag, who's now a partner at 314, him and I were employee number one, two, three, very early at Edcast. And uh, we had, again, because he was so early, all of us would go into the VC meetings, go on Sandhill Road, and we'd see what a good VC would be like to talk to, what not, what a not so great VC is like to talk to. Uh, so I think yeah. learning from the other side of the table was vital for us to realize that there's so much between this relationship that needs to be fixed anywhere in the world, right? Uh, there's so so little diversity, for example, on the capital side, especially in the U.S. Uh, there is so there is uh, almost there were almost no young people in venture capital in India uh, when we surveyed the VC landscape here. In fact, the average age is still around 50, 51, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So we saw a huge gap between capital. And the ideas between the, the between the capitalists and the founders. Right? So we thought, look, we're in our late twenties. Uh, no one is going to believe that we can start a VC firm, and even fewer LPs are going to believe that they should trust capital with us. So we said we're going to come out of nowhere, and we're going to be maybe the most unfamiliar approach to venture capital anyone in India has ever seen. So we mm-hmm. accepted the fact that if we started a VC firm, it was all uphill. There was nothing to rely on, nothing to take for granted. Uh, we can't say we worked in VC firm X, so we know you, give us capital. We can't say you've taken a startup to IPO, so give us capital. Uh, we have none of the typical ingredients that a VC would use to raise you know, 50 million, 100 million, whatever. So we said, we accept it. That's part of what we are committing to. So if we start a VC firm, we'd have to, number one, learn how to invest differently. And I think that's what we did. And we'll talk about a little bit, that a little bit more. Yeah. Number two, learn to build relationships with founders differently. And I think that that's where we had a huge advantage because we were the same cohort, the same peer set as founders. Uh, our closeness to them, our relatability to them was much, much more believable yeah. compared to someone in their mid-50s. Yes. So we were able to use a whole host of advantages we had to counter some of the disadvantages we didn't have. Uh, disadvantages that we faced, sorry. Mm-hmm. So our first one was unfortunately very small, uh, only 100 crore rupees, uh, 16 million USD back then. Uh, our only regret is, and our, all of our LPs regret is, we started very small because that fund has two unicorns already, Licious and Darwin Box, many more exciting companies getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were able to buy very small pieces, very small stakes, you know, uh, under five, five to 6% you know, in those companies. Yeah. So I think uh, starting small, building it up, earning trust, showing credibility, laying down the track record in real time, uh, helped our LPs learn more about our style, see what was working, see how differentiated we were. And uh, fast forward six years, we're at 200 million in fund three. Next year, we should announce close to half a billion altogether. Uh, so I think uh, it's really exponential scale. So if we were of the mindset that we're going to fund exponential companies, our commitment was let's build an exponential VC firm. And I think, uh, thankfully, we're halfway there. Yeah. And... Uh... You know, for an LP, it was it was it was mostly a non-consensus bet, uh, betting in you guys uh, because you didn't have the background, you were young, but it was a different approach. Uh, I can totally relate uh, to what you said, where you know we are uh, same age as age as founders. We can relate, you know, in a different way, maybe at a deeper level. I think left lane capital raised a massive uh, 1.5 billion dollars and. And you know they talk about they talk about the same thing as well. Uh, we're young, uh, you know, we're gonna outwork others uh, and, and all that stuff. Um, so Pranav, you know, I think I I read it somewhere where you know when you first launched the fund, you were mostly focused on uh, 
betting on ideas or teams that were non-consensus. Okay. And that's where the real returns are. Would love for you to talk more on that, double click on that. And also, uh, you know, maybe the, you know, the investing stories uh, behind uh, those two unicorn portfolio, uh, unicorns that you have in your portfolio. Yeah, for sure. So I think we, we again, uh, reimagined what venture should be. And we looked to inspiration to the first VCs in India, like who funded the Infosys, the Wipros, the Tatas, and so on. Turns out most of them didn't have access to quality equity capital. Mr. Nayanmurthy's story at Infosys is legendary, where he said, after the IPO, we will never raise equity again. We don't see IPO as the end of the path. We see it as the beginning of the, of the, of the journey. Uh, so I think we realize as VCs, if we are to don this role, uh, the role of the VC is to be ahead of the mainstream. Uh, because in the early stage, if you're starting companies that are already consensus today, so back in 2015, 2016, another e-commerce company, another wallet company, another food delivery company, um, another, uh, say, lending company, uh, then you are doing the same things the other VCs are, and you're always going to lose because the best founders are not going to pick you. The best founders are going to want to pick the more established VCs that are already reasonably well known in those business models, having built TCs and so on over decades. Yeah. So I think we realized that the only way to kind of come out of nowhere and do what we had to do and still generate venture returns, which should be 25-30% net IRR, is to invest slightly ahead of the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So take bets in, for example, when everyone's doing horizontal commerce and low margin commerce, we say, let's build vertical commerce and let's think about consumer brand margins. So Licious, for example, terrific founders, absolutely phenomenal story. Uh, I don't want to take away from if they come and do your podcast, so I want them to share their story directly. But, uh, you know, Vivek and Abey knew every VC. Vivek was from Helion, which back then was one of the top VC firms in India. Uh, so it's not that founders of that quality don't have access to the pe people who are supposed to fund them. It's that some of their ideas are so out of the mainstream that no one wants to touch that idea, right? And that's a great example of how you can build a whole category in the country. If you're thinking like a VC and you're looking for the right kind of founders in the right spaces, but those kind of founders almost always didn't have access to high quality capital that would consistently fund them to scale. So we, for example, took that bet in Lucius. Today, they're India's most valuable D2C brand, India's first D2C unicorn, a category creator, a market leader, a standard setter. It's a phenomenal story what they've done in six years, 100 million plus in revenue. Um, but it took some crazy people like us and them to make that story happen. And I yeah. think if we look back at all of the companies that have succeeded in our portfolio, they all had some kind of out of left wing kind of story uh, that pulls them into the mainstream very fast, but they always start from outside the mainstream. So if you look at our portfolio today, again, you see a lot of our belief being actioned into our deployments where we keep telling founders that this is early, but we're going to try it this way. And here's where we can align and pull it into mainstream if it works. I think that's what VC should do. And that's why for us, deep tech, for example, is a big part of our focus areas. We want to bet on things like drug discovery, semiconductor design, electric vehicle, fast charging, AI and machine and machine learning and medical devices before it becomes something everything everyone is doing. But we also can't be so far out of it. For example, unfortunately, we can't do quantum computing, even though it might be very important in the future because we don't have the talent, we don't have the market, we don't have X, Y, or Z. Uh, so that playing that balance, I would say, is where uh, almost always, if you don't do it right, you're going to lose a lot of capital. Got it. And uh, 
I feel like, you know, Jupiter could be another story as well, right? Uh, Jitain could have gotten capital from anybody in India, given the track record. And, and he chose uh, you guys. Again, it's assumptions, uh, you know, and my assumption here would be, you know, he's building uh, a digital bank for the new age. And now that, again, that, you know, your age factor, I think the entire team is what, uh, under 35 or, you know, around that. Uh, so Pranav, you know, you've scaled uh, from 16 million to 200 million. Uh, let's, you know, there'll be two parts to this question. First is, or maybe we can start with this one first, where, you know, let's say you're telling a uh, 10-year-old, uh, how has the ecosystem or tech ecosystem of India has evolved over the years? And what do you see next? And second part would be, you know, from 16 to 200 million, I'm sure you're very ambitious. Uh, what's the magical outcome that you see uh, for you, for your team? Uh, and for three one four capital. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll answer the second question first. Uh, I think we'll be the only VC fund that tells our investors we don't want more capital. In fact, if we take more capital, it's going to hurt our performance. It's going to hurt how much IRR we deliver in the end. Uh, so, in simple math, we'd rather return a billion dollars with a two hundred million dollar fund, so five x, versus mm -hmm. return a billion dollars with a five hundred million dollar fund, which is only two x. Mm -hmm. So, for us, the the multiplier, the multiple on invested capital is why we invest. It's what our LPs are looking for. And it's why we are spending so much time overworking ourselves to find new ideas out of the mainstream ecosystem. So uh, I think every early stage fund that we launch will be around the range we are currently today. Yeah. Uh, even though we have so much demand, we're not going to stuff more capital into our fund simply because we can. I think that's also, uh, I might regret this five, six years later. I think all of us might regret this. But it's, it's where we think we have to be careful yeah. uh, because more capital almost always uh, is a deterrent to uh, good performance. On the first point, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll tell someone who's 10 years old exactly what I wish I was told, which is it takes 30 to 50 years to build up a country's technology capability. Right? And India has been doing this since 1990, if you will. Uh, stake 1991 is liberalization, the start of everything that we have today. Uh, we are building on the shoulders of people who have put in so much effort uh, to take a country forward to where it, where it is today. So our responsibility is not just building something for the sake of building it. I want to be a founder, so I start a startup. I saw some movies, so I start a startup. I, I would tell a 10-year-old, think very carefully about the country that you want to leave to your friends, to your family, to your children one day. And you'll come to the conclusion that I did that we must own our own technology. We must build our own companies. We must solve our own problems. Right? And technology is that very unique uh, area that scales to billions and billions of people with almost no marginal cost if done correctly. Uh, so I think of, to a 10 year old, I'll say there are only two forces that are at work today in the world. Mm -hmm. If you think about it and you, know, you want to build your career, Globalization, which is taking a smartphone and putting it in the hands of 7 billion people. But technology is taking a desktop computer or a laptop and making it a smartphone. Yeah. So you, you, you should think about how to study and what you want to do and be on either axis, either globalization or technology. And almost always, I think the Indian's answer is, I want to build something new. And I, and I think that's great. And I, I hope every 10-year-old is able to keep that capacity for innovation and imagination going forward. Love it. And... Uh... Pranav, you know, you've been investing for the last seven, eight years. 
what's something that you know now uh, you wish you knew, you knew earlier? Oh, wow. Um, just how much of a network game technology has become. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean social networks or network intelligence. I'm, I'm talking more about relationships and the, the clubs that get started, right? Yeah. Uh, the consulting club, the, the Google club, the ex-McKinsey club, the ex-this club, that club. I think just how important it is to build and maintain relationships. Um, all of us know it intuitively. I would say in college, I mean, everyone, everyone I knew was always looking to meet new people and, and figure out you know, how they can be useful to someone or someone will be useful to them. So the utilitarian benefit of networking, if you will, I don't think it's a new idea, but um, just how much of that is determining how capital flows today, which founders talk to which VCs first, uh, which founders are angels in which employee that is leaving their company to start something new, uh, which company they buy later. Once they're a listed company, you're seeing some of those examples in the news. So I think a lot of the network plays are good and bad. I think the, the downside is that you get a lot of... Um, you know, mono, uh, monoculture in a networks. So they all think the same way. They invest in the same things. They, they create trends out of shared ideas. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that leads to problems yeah. at scale. We're seeing some of those today. But I think um, if you are part of those networks and that gives you a leg up, that gives you an early, you know, a faster seed round, a quicker part to a series A, I don't think anyone's complaining. Right? So there's good and bad. Um, but I would say being part of those networks and fighting the bias, that's where true courage is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best investors I love, the best investors I hold as mentors, that's what I've seen them do consistently over a decade. Uh, so I'd say that's, that's a lesson you only learn after experiencing it. If someone told me this when I was 25, I would say, no, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You don't know what I'm saying. I'll come and disrupt you, blah, blah. So there's an arrogance in the young. It's then everyone. But I think that's a good lesson learned. Uh, that's something I would do differently if I could go back. Got it. And what's something that's very obvious to you, uh, but not so obvious to most people? It could be at work or it could be outside work, Pranav. Well, um, I'll, I'll say something controversial. I think uh, today's media has become the relayer of, relayer of information, unfortunately, between innovation and uh, the rest of the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as we think technology is huge and it's in everyday stop, everybody's top of mind and everyone is reading about us every day. Honestly, a very small population of the country cares. There's so many other things going on in their daily lives. Yeah. So inside the technology bubble, we take technology news very seriously and who said what and who's quoted where and you know the whisper networks and so on. But the rest of the country doesn't give up, doesn't give two hoots, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if we are looking at the headlines and we only see funding news being celebrated. We don't see revenue milestones. We don't see hires. We don't see the real challenges founders are facing every day and how they solve them. We only see funding. And then yeah. when the market turns, suddenly every journalist is you know, looking at the founder, I told you so, and I told you this crash will come. So I think the media cycle is a little bit um, surfactual and, and, and unhelpful today. Uh, so I would say... That's the truth. I think every founder is realizing. So last year, every, every founder was a hero. Today, everyone's mm-hmm. waiting to jump on those same founders. I would say that's an important lesson for people in technology to learn, uh, to not take the hype cycle so seriously and to remember that you know, today's friends might be tomorrow's problem. Got it. And, and what's, what's the superpower that you see in Siddharth, uh, which he's probably not aware of? <laughs> well, I think that guy reads and understands things the fastest I've seen anyone do. Uh, he's the only guy I've met who sits sub 30 and understands the whole of tax regulation in India, 
the way he does. Uh, I think it's a little scary. Uh, mm-hmm. If he puts that into other areas, yeah. <laughs> it could be a weaponized uh, um, mind, if you will. But I, I think uh, obviously the rest of us are going to take that and put it to use as much as possible. So it's it's uh, it's phenomenal to see just how actually every member of the three one four team brings their own unique uh, piece of the jigsaw to the firm that makes us much, much stronger every day. So I think that's for sure. He knows it. All of us have told him uh, how we use that, how he helps us out. That's where the magic is. Got it. And uh, and what drives you? What, what, what's something that gives you dopamine? Well, uh, <laughs> well, not dopamine. I, I, I think the strange thing I've learned about me is I've never felt happy about a deal that I've done. Uh, I think the true joy is when I will return a fund finally. That happens in a, in a, in a few in a few quarters, but uh, I I think this 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 industry punishes you with delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dopamine is a is like the oasis in the desert. It's true scarcity, right? Uh, a follow-on round does not give you dopamine. A unicorn does not give you dopamine. Of course, it's a founder's achievement. They should celebrate it, but it doesn't do much for me. Uh, it's I think I will truly feel that the whole cycle's joy when we finally return a fund. So. That's what I'm waiting for. That's what I'm building towards. And what drives me is making sure I repay the trust that our LPs put in us. So that's really important. That's why you know I work the way I do. That's why all of us uh, put in so much effort. Uh, I think once that happens and once that starts happening consistently, we've had 15, 16 exits. So we felt real joy in returning money back and great net IRRs. Uh, so I think that's that's where I would say that's what keeps us motivated and, and driven. Got it. And who it could be a person, a book, or a quote that has really inspired you to the next level, and you just couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah, well, uh, I think mm, we were brought up very uh, in a in a very uh, traditional way at at home, and we had two cultures at home. We had the Konkani culture from my father's side, the Gujarati culture from my mother's side. Uh, I think we saw every day we heard stories about you know, the people who came before us, the, 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 the itihasa of our country. I think just um, seeing that shape me has been, for me, uh, thing I'm most grateful for. I'm just so grateful for the role India's culture and our culture has played in orienting us to be better people. And I think uh, the fact that the culture has survived thousands of years, the fact that, you know, in spite of radical poverty in our families, we've, we've come out after three or four decades, uh, just appreciating what goes into every generation's step forward. Um, I think I, that's what I don't take for granted. That's why I do what I do. And that's why for us, um, this is not for ourselves, it's for so many more people we, we, we want to be with. Uh, that is a, you know, it's, it's a set of values that you can't really teach. You have to help children live that as they grow up. Yeah. I think I, I, my only hope is I can give that to my children. I have a son already. I, I'm trying my best. <laughs> so far, it's working. Uh, but I think uh, that's that's the only thing I would want to pay forward, for sure. Got it. And Pranav, when you feel you know, overwhelmed, uh, maybe things are not going in the right direction, are there any frameworks uh, you know, that you look at which helps you? Yeah. I, I, this is where I think the math of venture capital really helps you maintain rationality. Uh, you realize that it is a, so there are three things that are about the math, right? This is a positive sum game if you play it right, meaning everyone can truly benefit with more like-minded stakeholders coming in, expanding the pie, 
and making sure there's an equitable distribution of who owns how much and what the logic is in the ownership. So, for example, VCs who take 30, 40% of a company early, I think that only destroys a company, right? And we've seen examples of that. Whereas VCs who take 10 to 15%, leave room for other capital to come in later, encourage the founders to remain majority shareholders, the largest shareholders, protect their shareholding, reward employees correctly. If you do it right, a corporate cap table is truly a work of magic, right? And it's, it's really, I would say, one of the most important technologies we've come up with that's intangible. Um, so we, we try very hard to keep that positive sum game economics top of mind. Every time we face a problem in a company with a shareholder on a board, we try to remind ourselves and everyone else in the room that, look, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Let's just get back to what's best for all of us. I think the second thing is a lot of this unrealistic expectations. We assume out of 10 companies, every company is going to be 3x, 4x, 5x, 10x, whatever. But really in a portfolio of 25 companies or 20 companies like we have, for example, in fund two, we'll have four or five like massive companies. And then all the other companies, whatever they do, they may be fantastic companies. They're just the leveling off effect. There's nothing you can do. It's just the law of nature at work, right? Yeah. And uh, no matter who you like and how much you like them, nature and your biases almost always don't align. So I think just keeping that in mind and, and being honest and transparent to, to everyone we work with that this is where we are, this is our context, so let's build accordingly. I think uh, without the mat, it would be very difficult to convince each other. But once you, you know, when people understand this, I think it makes for much better working relationships. And lastly, I think in our own firm, we've, so we've realized VCs give a lot of gyan to startups saying, yeah, you should be a good quality founder, transparent, attract people, compensate them, hire people better than you, et cetera, et cetera. But how many VCs do that? <laughs> how many VCs have even carry and profit share to every employee? How many VCs are hiring better people than them, making them partner faster? I think uh, we don't deploy a lot of our own uh, gyan into our own, our own firms, our own organizations. So we've learned to take all of that very seriously for ourselves. If we're not doing it first, we're not telling a company to do it. Uh, so I think those are some of the things that have helped us through some of the most important and difficult challenges we face. Uh, Pranav, uh, you know, a change that you would like to see in the tech ecosystem in India? Yeah, well, uh, I, I don't like telling people what to do. So I, I yeah. think a, a change overall, I would say, is until last year, I felt like most of the Indian ecosystem is undervalued. I always felt like there's more, there's more ideas, there's more great companies that are better, a lot of very better founders that are not getting funded. Um, there's always less capital than what we need, right? Last year, we had 42 to 45 billion come in. It was like one big deluge of capital mm -hmm. and 100 unicorns, so on and so forth. I think a lot of the, I, I think there was frankly a catch-up effect of a lot of companies that should be valued better are now valued well. Better or worse, I don't know, but valued well and they should mm -hmm. be respected that way. But some companies obviously got valued ahead of time. That's also true when a deluge like that happens. So I think um, as an ecosystem, uh, we... Right, we become barbell-like in our thinking that either everything's good or everything's bad. We don't yeah. kind of meet in the middle and say things are good. You know, we have enough capital. Let a recession come. You know, we faced COVID. We did it. We did it all together. Let's face a recession. We'll do it all together. Yeah, we'll cut some fat. We'll trim some weight, but we'll move on. I think the rationality in the middle is we don't meet very often. And I think mm -hmm. again, the headlines I mentioned this point earlier don't help. So I, I hope uh, this correction. It'll be a, our first real correction after. God knows how long, uh, we'll make sure that at least from our portfolio, we help all our founders align in the middle and we'll make sure that hopefully we can deploy the lessons 
that we've been waiting to deploy and preparing ourselves to. Love it. And, uh, and you know, we know you uh, because of, uh, you know, tech entrepreneur, uh, a venture capitalist. What do your friends know you for? Uh, or, you know, in other words, it could be what do you do on, uh, on the weekends, vacations? <laughs> I haven't had a vacation in years. Uh, so I, I love football. I, I love traveling to watch games. Uh, my fondest memories are my wife and I going to the Brazil World Cup in 2014. Uh, we, you know, we just hoped, hoped and prayed. We won the lotteries for the tickets. We got some really great games. Uh, we went for the Euros in France. Uh, we've been to Arsenal, United, Madrid, Atletico. So I love traveling for football. Uh, and I think I hope I get more time to do that uh, going forward. And uh, my friends and I, you know, a lot of my friends are now in different parts of the world in the US, in, in Europe, uh, in different parts of India. Uh, we meet maybe when someone's getting married or, or maybe every couple of years. But when we do, it's, it's still the same magic. I'm really grateful for that. And uh, of course, uh, very grateful for the fact that at family, all of us in Bangalore, my wife's side, my side, uh, so we get to meet very often. So I think that's what allows me to stay focused at work. I'm very yeah. grateful. Got it. Uh, Pranav, man, I had so much fun. Thank you so much for making the time and, uh, and coming on the podcast and really, you know, giving us uh, a look into your uh, life's uh, and work's journey so far. No, fantastic. And thank you, Shiva. And I must say, I'm really impressed with what you're doing with 1947. More power to you, man. Anything we can do to help. And I'm looking forward to you announcing bigger things and joining the investing side. Looking forward to working together. Appreciate it.